0: The word of the Lord from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear hearers in Christ, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Now this sounds a little harsh, but if you sin, you don't love Jesus. But Jesus does say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And Romans 13 says that love is the fulfilling of the law. So if you don't keep the commandments or fulfill the law, then you do not love. It's not like you hate Jesus. I mean, if you despised him, you probably wouldn't be sitting here. So, maybe it's accurate to say that you don't love Jesus as much as you need to. You're both saint and sinner. The saint wants to keep God's commandments and the sinner doesn't. So, you end up trying to do the right thing and often do the wrong thing. Read the end of Romans 7, where St. Paul says that that's just the way you are careful, though, and don't settle for that's just the way you are. That's when you start to think of this love in ways that you can understand and accomplish. So, you start to think of human relationships like marriage. There, you've got a husband and wife who have vowed to love each other for life. They're imperfect. They're sinful. They're going to get in fights along the way, but they're going to do their best. In other words, they see their vows as an ideal to shoot for, even though they're going to miss. It's a sweet picture. It's pretty identifiable, I think. And it's doable, too, since both understand that they're both not perfect and they're both bound to make mistakes. That's how you tend to look at love, as doing your best. That's also how you justify all sorts of sins, You're doing your best, you're only human after all, and besides, everybody else isn't doing any better. But if that's how you look at love when it comes to our text, then you're trying to get Jesus to agree with you when his words most certainly do not. For one thing, this is the perfect, holy Son of God who's speaking with you. So you can't be saying, look, we all make mistakes and try to do our best because... He doesn't make mistakes. He always does his best, and he never does anything to disappoint you. For another, the word here for love has nothing to do with half measures or trying your best. It's that word agape, which means a sacrificial, selfless love that never fails. When Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, The love there means that you will never fail at keeping his commandments. So, can you say that you love Jesus? You can, as long as you're honest about it. An honest confession is, I love Jesus, but not enough, not as I ought to, because I still sin. A dishonest confession would be, I love Jesus enough because I'm doing the best that I can. That's dishonest because it's still not true. You can always do better. And it's just dishonest because it waters down the law. The first confession says, I need help. I need grace. Well, the second says, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for Jesus. If you define love as if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for Jesus, then you're lost. See, then you've made yourself the standard of truth who says that Jesus has to go along with what you say. So, there's your law for the day. If you sin, you don't love Jesus. At least, not enough. Not as you should. Anything less than perfect isn't good enough. If you think you're getting to heaven because of your love for Jesus, you're not getting to heaven. On a side note, this is one of those things that defines worship around here. It's not going to be about how much we love Jesus or how much we want to do for Jesus. This is divine service, holy worship. So we're not going to make the focus about us and our less-than-holy accomplishments When we do speak of our love for Jesus, we make clear always that it's first about his love for us, and then we get back to his love for us. Namely, here's the gospel which should come as no surprise, Jesus loves you. He agape loves you in a selfless and sacrificial way, as in God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His death on the cross for your sins, in your place, that's the purest act of love that you could possibly encounter. But his death on the cross is not the end of his love because he is risen from the dead. He asks the Father, and with the Father's hearty approval, he gives you another helper, the Spirit of Truth. There's a lot right there. For starters, that word helper says a lot. The Greek word pops up in a Pentecost hymn coming up. The word is paraclete, and that gets translated in different ways like helper or comforter. I suppose we could describe the meaning in general as the one who says what needs to be said, which includes words of comfort and truth, as well as admonition and warning. More technically, a paraclete is one who pleads your case like an advocate or a defense attorney. Please note that speaking and pleading and defending all involve the use of words. So you know how the Holy Spirit is going to operate. He's going to use the word of God. Second, Jesus calls him another helper, which means that there's more than one. In fact, Jesus has been helping the disciples by speaking to them his holy word. And as he says these words to them, he is about to go to the cross and die for their sins. Your sins too. By his death and resurrection, as your defender, he is about to secure the ultimate defense. When he intercedes and pleads your case at his Father's right hand, he defends you by saying, Father, you cannot condemn these for their sins because I died for their sins already. The price has been paid and the sentence has been carried out. Because you found me guilty on Calvary, pardon them. So now you've got the Son, crucified and risen again, advocating your case before His Father in heaven, while the Holy Spirit is busy in the Word warning you of sin and strengthening your faith with the good news of forgiveness and life in Jesus. We don't want to tie them down, though. Jesus is still present here, giving you forgiveness and life in His means of grace, while the Holy Spirit is also present in heaven crafting your prayers for the Father's ears with groanings too deep for words. Which might have you thinking that since you have two paracletes working for you, you're in good shape before the Father in heaven because at worst it's two against one. But that's not quite it. As we often say from Psalm 124 verse 8 in the Confession of Sins, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, which says that God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is also at work to help you. It's not two against one. It's three for you. When the son argues, Father, you can't condemn these people for their sins because I died for them already, the father completely agrees and says, of course I can't condemn them because you died for them already. When it comes to salvation, the Holy Trinity is all in and all in your corner. The Son, with the Father's approval, gives you the Holy Spirit. And in the same breath, He says that He does not leave you as orphans. If you're not an orphan, you must be a child of God, adopted into the family or born again. And where are you adopted, born again by the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? In your baptism, by water and the Word. You're baptized. You're a beloved child of God. The Holy Spirit, the helper and spirit of truth, delivers forgiveness, gives you life, and sets you free from sin. And if you're set free from sin, then you're set free to love. In fact, you have no excuse not to love. And so Jesus repeats, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Huh. Back to love and keeping commandments. After that little burst of gospel, Are you back to being hopeless again? After all, after all that God is doing to help you, your crummy job of keeping the commandments looks even more shoddy and unloving than before. You're not hopeless. We should also talk about that little word, keep. Keep means to obey, but it also means to guard, to hold on to, to treasure. Should you keep, should you obey God's commandments, His laws? Absolutely. But you don't, not as you should. So where you don't, hold on to and treasure the following commandments all the more. Treasure the Lord's commandment, be baptized. Because when you were baptized, the Lord commanded Be forgiven of your sins as surely as he once commanded, let there be light. In other words, by his command, he caused it to happen. At your baptism, he caused you to be his child, no longer an orphan. Treasure that. Hold on to it. Likewise, with every absolution, the Lord says, Let there be forgiveness, let there be faith. Treasure that, because so the Lord gives what he desires. Two more commandments to treasure. Take and eat, and take and drink. For at the supper the Lord gives you the forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Where there is forgiveness, the Lord covers you with his righteousness until that day when you are raised from the dead. There, in heaven, because of his love, your love will be perfect and you will be perfected. In the name of the Father and of the Son,